It's Wednesday, January 12th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Health experts see at-home COVID tests as a key tool in the fight against the pandemic. Starting Saturday, January 15th, people with private health insurance will be able to get reimbursed for up to eight tests per month. The administration is also encouraging insurers to create networks of preferred stores or pharmacies so that costs can be covered up front. For those without private insurance, 500 million at-home tests will soon be available for people to request online. Despite all this action, limited supply of tests is still a concern. Annie Nova, personal finance reporter at CNBC, joins us for what to know about free at-home COVID tests. Next, the University of Maryland Medical Center has successfully transplanted a gene-edited pig heart into a man named Dave Bennett. Bennett was not cleared to be on the heart transplant waiting list and then opted for this very experimental procedure. The pig who gave his heart for this had 10 specific genes edited so that the body wouldn't reject the organ, to help prevent blood from coagulating in the heart, and to keep the pig from growing too large. Karen Weintraub, health reporter at USA Today, joins us for this medical first and what it could mean for the future. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Been able to uh, generate significant federal help in terms of folks both coming into the hospitals and administering all the help that these states need. That's what we're doing now, but I'm confident we're on the right track. Joining us now is Annie Nova, personal finance reporter at CNBC. Thanks for joining us, Annie. Hi, thanks for having me. Let's talk about what we need to know about these free at-home COVID tests. You know, with testing in the country, it's always been kind of a rocky thing. And we've kind of, and we've come full circle again, really with tests at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody was looking at constant testing as one of these things that was going to help us keep this under control. Then the vaccines came, the, you know, this whole testing stuff kind of fell by the wayside a little bit. And now we're back again, you know, uh, everybody wants to have the availability of these tests and we've seen prices go up. The limited availability of these at-home tests has been a tough thing to handle. So the country is trying to get back on track with this. And one of these things that the Biden administration said is they want private insurers to reimburse people for the cost of these tests. So those guidelines have come out now. Annie, tell us what we're seeing with this. Yeah, this is a big initiative to try to fight back the virus. And it has a lot to do with the the idea that if people are more regularly testing, if they have access to more tests, they'll be able to take the necessary precautions of isolating and knowing if, if they have the virus and if they're contagious. So If you have private health insurance, you now, that's 150 million Americans, you should be able to go starting Saturday, January 15th, you should be able to go to a pharmacy or order online an at-home COVID test. As long as it's FDA approved, it'll be covered under this policy. And then you can apply for reimbursement with your insurer. Or in some cases, the Biden administration is encouraging company uh, insurers, sorry, health insurers to make an option available where you don't have to pay anything up front. And it'll be the pharmacy, say CVS, who then bills the insurer. And that was the, uh, you know, when they announced the administration announced these plans, everybody right away started rolling their eyes. They're like, okay, yeah, we're going to get insurance to do this you mm-hmm. know, effectively. But that's one of the interesting parts of this. So they are offering some incentives, I guess, to the insurers 
to kind of create these networks, as you mentioned, you know, whether it's a pharmacy or, or whatever, you know, certain stores that they're within their network, people can go there and, you know, I guess show their insurance card maybe, and then it is no cost up front for them. And that's really key because these tests can be pretty expensive and, and the hassle of having to go through and provide receipts and mm-hmm. everything it is a big barrier for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. There was a lot of concern about that. Again, the whole objective here is to make the test way more accessible to, you know, break down barriers to getting the tests. So if you have people having to spend, in some cases, $30 or more, people have seen prices all across the board throughout this time, especially as tests can be very hard to get. And when when demand is really high, you see some of the prices be quite high. So if you had people always having to upfront the cost, likely it would be a problem. So hopefully there will be a lot of companies and retailers that have this option of of you being able to pick up the test and then they will bill on the back end of the insurer. How much are insurers obligated to reimburse and how many tests? Because I know there's a, a number of tests per month that you can get per person. So it will really depend. A lot of it, this is still to be determined, but in some cases, the insurer can cap how much they reimbursed you to $12. Whether they can do that, you're going to want to call your insurer and ask them if there's a $12 cap. It's a little bit wonky, but basically, if the insurer has given an option where you can buy the test without an upfront cost, how the Biden administration is incentivizing them to do that is they're saying, you can impose this $12 cap if you allow for people to buy them without an upfront cost. So I would call your insurer and ask, is there this $12 cap? If there is, that means that if you buy a $20 test, you could still be on the hook for $8 there or the remaining cost. In some cases, though, you will be able to get full reimbursement. So that's something you're going to want to check with your own provider. In terms of maximum, yes, you can get up to eight tests for free a month now. That is per individual. So a family of three could get 24 tests. So it'll, it'll be by family size, but at least eight tests a month, which is pretty good. And that's one of the tough things, too, when you're talking about obtaining these tests. You know, one of the key things that hasn't been handled by all of this is the limited availability of these tests to begin with. We've been doing some stories recently on the podcast where it's just hard to find them. One uh, Wall Street Journal report said that uh, people were buying tests on the sidewalk from people that were providing them free by their insurers, but they needed the test themselves. And they had to go through all these different Mm. hurdles and hoops to get the test. So that's a tough thing. You know, you're not going to get reimbursed for any of those things. You got to make sure you have your receipt for all of this. What we're talking about right now is the program being set up for private health insurers. What about people that don't have insurance? Yeah, so really good question. So this is just as big of a development as the first one we talked about is that the Biden administration is buying over 500 million at-home COVID tests that will be soon available to all Americans, regardless of your health insurance status, whether you have health insurance, whether you're covered through Medicaid or Medicare, or if you don't have health insurance, you will be able to access these free COVID tests through a website, which the administration is going to be soon giving more details about. And a pretty cool feature here is you can get these tests delivered to you. So that's going to make things a lot easier for people. A lot is still to be determined. We haven't seen this website yet or exactly how it'll work, but it seems like most people will be able to get a test delivered to them. There's also going to be another program providing 50 million free at-home tests to community centers and Medicare certified health clinics. So Hopefully, with this influx of tests, we'll be able to kind of get things back under control. But 
you know, again, it requires that availability of these tests to get there. I know these test manufacturers are working overtime constantly making these, but so that's the other issue there, but we'll see how all of this plays out. But for now, make sure to check with your insurance companies, keep those receipts, and hopefully you can get reimbursed pretty effectively. Annie Nova, personal finance reporter at CNBC. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. Good luck, everyone. He's awake. He is recovering and speaking to his caregivers. And um, we hope uh, that uh, the recovery that he is having now will continue. Joining us now is Karen Weintraub, health reporter at USA Today. Thanks for joining us, Karen. Thanks for having me. Well, we have a, an amazing medical story coming out of the University of Maryland Medical Center, where for the first time ever, they used a gene-edited pig heart as an organ donor for a person, uh, for a man named David Bennett. He's 57 years old. Right. They put this pig heart into his body. It's been working. He, he's been pumping mm-hmm. for a few days now. And obviously, when things like this happen, right, uh, people start looking to the future and saying, hey, man, this could be a really big change for all these people that need heart transplants that are on the list and everything. Just an amazing story. So, Karen, let's talk about it. What are we seeing with this case? So this is work that's been in development actively for 20 years plus and very active for the last couple of years. And what they've been doing is editing these pigs to take out Uh, We have species barriers, so there's a reason, you know, we don't mix species. Um, If if you gave me a pig heart, a normal pig heart, my body would immediately reject it. So what they've done is taken out some of the genes that cause that immediate rejection. Um, And so the the human body can accept the pig heart. The potential here is uh, right now a number, a lot of people die while waiting for organs. Hearts are one, kidneys especially um, there are 110,000 people almost on the wait list for organs in the U.S., and I think 60%, more than half of them are for kidneys, um, and many people do die. And those are people who make it on the list. So Mr. Bennett, who, who had the surgery in Maryland, um, wasn't even on the list. He didn't qualify, which is why he agreed to volunteer for this test. Let's talk about Mr. Bennett and his case before we get into some of the other cool science stuff related to this. So the first question you kind of mentioned there, he wasn't, he was rejected for a heart transplant. Why wasn't he able to get a traditional heart transplant in the first place? So it's actually hard to get on the transplant list because it's such a limited resource. They really restrict it to people who they think are going to do well with the transplant. Mr. Bennett apparently in his past had not always followed medical recommendations, missed medical appointments, didn't fill prescriptions, that sort of thing. And though it seems minor and happens to all of us, that's enough to get you knocked off the heart transplant list. Wow. So so not following yeah. the doctor's orders, you know, yeah. really matters. I mean, especially in these cases like this, right? I mean, they're not going to go through all the trouble if uh, it's going to fizzle out and it's not going to work. So I, I, that totally makes sense. What was wrong with his heart to begin with that he needed this? So it's not entirely clear. His, he has a family history. Um, his, both of his parents died fairly young. He had a sister who died young. Um, so there is definitely a family history there. He had a valve replacement about nine years ago. So he'd had existing heart disease. Um, and then he was okay until October when he started to have severe chest pains. Went into Maryland in November, uh, into the hospital in Baltimore there, and, and has been there ever since. 
Um, and so in addition to not being a good transplant candidate, he wasn't a good candidate for a mechanical heart, apparently, because he didn't have a good heart rhythm. It was very irregular. And I guess you need a regular heartbeat in order for a mechanical heart to, to help. Now, all of this moved very quickly because, as you mentioned, he had the chest pains in October. By December, they were getting ready for this. And, uh, you know, it just happened a few days ago, really, this whole thing. So it all happened very quickly. What was all of that process like? Because there's a lot of clearances you need to get from the FDA, all sorts of things in order for something like this to even happen. Right. And they're huge bureaucratic hurdles. And it's kind of the miracle almost uh, beyond the actual surgery was that they got through the bureaucracy that quickly. Um, They needed three separate approvals from the FDA. There were three sort of innovations as part of this. One was the gene edited pig. Another was the medication that they give him to keep him from rejecting the organ. Um, They've used a a different protocol for this pig organ than they would normally use for a human-to-human heart transplant. And the third was the box they put the heart in um, between taking it out of the pig and putting it into the person. They wanted to keep it perfused. It's called keep keep liquid pumping through it. Um, apparently with a human heart, it can last on ice for a little while, but the pig heart has not been doing well unless they kept it um, full of liquid continuously. And so they created the, the, the people who made, who gene edited the pig have, have come up with this perfusion box that keeps the heart um, healthier until it can be implanted into a person. And all of those required separate approval. So yeah, there were a lot of sleepless nights between December 15th when they first thought about this and uh uh, Christmas, uh, sorry, New Year's Eve, December 31st, they got their FDA approvals and then took another week before they did the surgery on Friday. Talking about the box that they put the heart in, right? That was only discovered because they've already been doing these type of transplants into baboons. And they were finding right. out that the heart, if you put it on ice, it just wasn't lasting good enough. Uh, you know, So just out of that whole experimentation process, they figured out that this was the best way to go for that. Exactly. And, and they, um, that's where the immune protocol came from. Also, the, the suppress, immune suppression, the regular stuff they use in people wasn't working on the baboons. They tried a different one and it did work. And so um, that's, that's how they came up with, with this approach. So, um, and they've managed to keep baboons alive for this team in Maryland has kept them alive for nine months uh, after transplant. They don't uh, communicate nearly as well as, the patient, as a patient does. Now, how is Mr. Bennett doing now from all of this? Obviously, we heard that he's doing well. He's obviously awake and things are pumping. But how does it look so far? So um, I haven't spoken to him or seen him yet, but apparently he is doing very well. He's off the ECMO machine, the machine that was pumping his blood for him. Um, so the, the pig heart is doing all the pumping uh, on for him. Um, he's off the ventilator. So presumably he will be... Um, you know, able to talk pretty soon if he can't already. Um, and then the next hurdle will be getting him out of bed and getting him um, getting some physical strength back. He's been literally flat on his back for two months at least. So um, he's very deconditioned, as they call it. You know, he's, he's, he's in terrible physical shape and he's got to work on that. And that's a lot of work. And that's part of why they want to make sure that somebody is going to be compliant um, because it does take a lot of work to come back from a transplant. From some of the doctors that have spoken to him, I guess he's very optimistic, right? He says that he hopes he can still get a human heart. Uh, you know, maybe this could just be a bridge for him right now. Right. So that's one of the possibilities of using these pig organs as bridges to human organs till till um, till another organ can become available. Um, so, yeah, that's he he I guess uh, as anybody would would rather have a human heart than a pig heart. <laughs> right. 
Okay, let's talk a little bit more about the pig specifically. This pig comes from Virginia, and as we mentioned, it was genetically modified in 10 different spots. So they have, you know, uh, 100,000 genes, I guess you can use to modify. They only had to do this with 10. And so what did that look like? So they want to do the the fewest possible genes because they want a healthy pig, obviously. Um, And so three of them are related to this immediate immune rejection that, again, the the human body would would normally immediately recognize, hey, this thing doesn't belong here and reject it. So three of them involve that. Things they figured out with the baboon, again, things that that would prevent rejection. Um, One of them is to prevent growth. So one of the things they learn in the baboon, they put... Um, an adolescent pig heart into a baboon and it was the right size when they put it in and the heart kept growing. And so they realized that they had to stop the growth of this, um, of the heart. So in Germany, they're using smaller pigs. Uh, in Virginia, they've taken out a growth hormone gene in order to keep the, the pigs smaller so the heart won't get too big. These pigs that have been provided for a lot of this stuff, these companies are specifically breeding these pigs for organ transplants and all that, because you did make mention too in the article, you know, that they're animal rights activists that aren't really happy with this kind of thing. No, there are a lot of people who are very upset about this. Um, You know, why are we prioritizing a human life over, over an animal? Um, And, and there are other ethical issues that come up as well. Um, I think the ethicists I've spoken to say they feel okay with it. We kill hundreds of millions of pigs a year to eat them. Um, so we're already prioritizing people over pigs in that sense. Um, but, but this does really raise some ethical questions, and that's why I think it's important for, for people to know about it and talk about it. You had a section in your article that talks about what does success look like with this? Because we, you know, we've been talking about how, obviously, you know, it's a great thing. It's a, a historic first, right? It's a big medical advancement, and we keep moving along this way. The last time we spoke, I think we talked about the pig kidney that they put on a body and it started working. So now we're talking about a a full heart and that kidney situation was different. That was just outside of the body. It wasn't really like fully done. I think the patient was brain dead. You know, this heart thing is a whole level above that. And people say, well, what does success look like? It's already success because they proved they can do it. But going forward, you know, I mean, for Mr. Bennett, what would this success look like? And then beyond that, obviously the huge implications for the medical field. Right. I mean, for him, he's a, a simple man with simple dreams. He just wants to go home and hang out with his dog, Lucky, and watch uh, watch game on TV. Um, so I think that's, to him, the idea of success. And, and what motivated him to do this, basically, he was told he would never leave the hospital otherwise. Um, so he, he wanted something that gave him a shot at getting home. Um, the larger implications, as we said before, with the transplant list, this could theoretically transform transplants keep people off the list or keep people from languishing on the list for, for years uh, and enable more people to get transplants who, who could not have otherwise. And, uh, and, and having to get, kind of get over that whole notion of right now I have an animal organ in me for Mr. Bennett himself. At first, he didn't want to participate in this. And as speaking to his son and all, you know, his son said, well, you know, he realized it'd be different. As you mentioned, he'd be in the hospital for the rest of his life if he didn't go this way. And so an experimental procedure, this whole process, even for him, took a lot of convincing within himself. Scientific advances take a lot of guts. You know, the scientists took some risks here. They could have 
set the field back years if, if Mr. Bennett had died. Um, but Mr. Bennett really took a risk here. You know, it was his life um, that he was gambling on. And we, we should always remember that, you know, that there can't be scientific advances without people willing to take risks like this. Karen Weintraub, health reporter at USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.